Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from The Recount, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm LZ Granderson, and I'm not in the NBA playoffs. He's Will Leach. I'm Will Leach, and I, like you, like the Lakers, and like the Knicks, I'm also not in the NBA playoffs. But we will start off our very full slate today with a discussion of those NBA playoffs, which start with the play-in games on Tuesday night. Yes, yes, the play-in games, which once upon a time, the Lakers didn't even want to be bothered with, and now we can't even make it. It's like Notre Dame like turning down a minor bowl or something. Like <laughs> Now you really wish you could like get there at this point. Exactly. Next, we're going to talk about the rapidly escalating cost of being a fan and how that might be affecting the popularity of America's major sports. So I have to log back into Apple TV and MLB TV and Peacock and ESPN Plus. Sorry, forgive me. I will respond to you after I figure out what my passwords for all of those sites are. And we're going to discuss the public financing of stadiums, most specifically the new one that will be built with $850 million of public money in Buffalo. Democratic New York State Senator Sean Ryan will join us to tell us why he voted for the plan, even though he knows it's not going to boost the city's economy. Well, at least he knows it. We'll get blindsided by the reports. <laughs> then we'll wrap up the show with this week in sports history. And in this era of intense political polarization, look back at the custom of U.S. presidents throwing out the ceremonial first pitch at baseball games, which started 112 years ago this week with the often forgotten about William Howard Taft. In honor of Barack Obama's pitch at the 2009 MLB All-Star Game in St. Louis, of which I was in attendance, I'm wearing mom jeans today, <laughs> just like Obama famously did for that game. But before we get to our top three stories, LZ, what is your sports mood today? Sadness, my friend. Mm. I've just been sad. Is there an empty void? <laughs> <laughs> I can see that Rams title is still just glowing off of you. You're already sad? I'm Come already on! already sad because... Okay, sure, by January, I didn't think we were going to win the NBA title. Sure, by March, I didn't think we were going to make the playoffs outright. Into April, I was a little bit worried about the play-in game. (laughs) But now that all of this horrible stuff has occurred, and the Lakers have fired their coach, and there's questions about whether or not Anthony Davis or Russell Westbrook are going to be here, and LeBron James' ankle and the rest, and, and all of that, I'm just... In a funk, Will. I'm going to watch the playoffs because I love ball. But I just needed a little bit more time to mourn this season because it's just so unexpectedly bad. 
like, when they signed Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov, I was like, all right, yeah, we're not doing shit this year. I, that, that I assumed. But I didn't assume that a roster with that many Hall of Famers, that a roster with a guy who just dragged a Washington Wizards team into the yeah. postseason just a few months ago wouldn't be able to win enough games to make the play-in. But, you know, 49 losses later, here we are. It is wild. I'm glad you brought up that about Westbrook bringing them to the playoffs last year. Because we keep talking about like, wow, it's so weird that LeBron would not be able to have a team get in at least a play-in game. This is a huge step back for we're Westbrook too. Like, yes. he, like It must be weird for him not to be in the playoffs. True, I think he is obviously part of the reason that they're not in the playoffs. But 34 and 48, 34 wins is all it required to get in the play-in game this year. 34 wins. 34, 34 wins. Four wins. You know who had 34 wins this year? The Knicks. The Knicks won 37 games. <laughs> if the Knicks were in the Western Conference, they'd be hosting the play-in game. So, they'd be hosting a play-in game. That's how bad it's been. It really is wild. And you know what's even funnier, though? And maybe this is the real reason why I'm saddened, is that usually, you know, you can find like some sort of area you can point to and go, aha! This is why the season got derailed. Or, aha! This is who to blame. But LeBron, AD, and Westbrook played 21 games together and only won 11 of them. So even if you want to factor in the health issue about LeBron missing games and obviously AD missing games and them not all being to play together, when all three were on the floor, they were barely above 500. Now... To be fair, that would have got them hosting the play-in game. That would have got them hosting (laughs) the play-in game. There you go. (laughs) And it is reminiscent to the slow start that the Heatles had Mm. when they were first assembled. You know, they did not jump out of the gate right away either. Though I would argue that you at least saw some things coming together when they were even struggling a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) throughout the game. I didn't even see anything coming together in the 11 wins that those three did put together (laughs) when they were on the floor at the same time. So my sports mood is just sad. It's dejected. I'm like that last piece of bacon on the plate that's surrounded by saturated fat. If you just dust it off the fat and kind of reheat it, you know, you can make good with it, but something's not right about it. That's what I feel like. I feel like the last piece of bacon surrounded by my own grease. <laughs> wow, that's that's a vivid and delicious metaphor. I feel obliged uh, to point out. My sports mood is worryingly potentially distracted because we taped the show on Tuesday afternoon. We started during the fall. This is the first show that we have done where there are afternoon baseball games. Afternoon baseball games are my vice. I'm trying to finish a book right now. I'm very busy. You're very busy. We're very busy people. Afternoon baseball games, when I was a kid and they'd have them, I'm like, why am I at school? The Reds are playing the Expos right now. I could be missing something. Uh, They are my kryptonite. I love afternoon baseball games. This is a first time we've had one since we started doing this show if there's a moment where you're like will that's not true defend yourself and i'm looking blankly (laughs) off into the distance no offense but afternoon baseball games are super hard for me to ignore so i'm going to close my mlb.com window and not keep an eye on this red sox tigers game i will note by the way though that the starter in the red sox game today is rich hill rich hill is the second oldest player in baseball and do you remember players weekend remember the players weekend they put their own names on the back of their jerseys rich hill famously put Dick Mountain 
on the back of his jersey and they let him do it. So who says baseball's not fun? Who says baseball can't have a good time when Rich Hill can put Dick Mountain on the back of his jersey? All right. Guess it's better than the other way around. Next topic. Okay. <laughs> Bing! Good luck from Harden down to Joel. What? He just can do everything. Sixers playing with 14 fouls. Drive it. Shot clock about to expire. Step back three from Embiid. Oh my goodness. That was the sound of Philadelphia's Joel Embiid dominating the Indiana Pacers on Saturday night as he scored 44 points on his way to locking up this season's scoring title in a first-round berth in the playoffs against Toronto, where he can play because he's vaccinated. Sorry, Tybal. Yes, LZ, the NBA postseason is here. Is it? It is, it is. The play-in game counts. We're recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. The play-in games to determine the seventh and eighth seeds in both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals start tonight, and the first round gets going on Saturday. Compelling storylines are quite plentiful this time of year, and they always have to do with what players and teams will emerge as the NBA's ultimate alpha dogs. In the Western Conference, will Chris Paul, the all-time great point guard of the Phoenix Suns and one of the best players never to win the NBA championship, get it done for the first time in his 16-year career? Can the precocious Memphis Grizzlies become the youngest team ever to reach the finals? How about the Golden State Warriors? If Steph Curry returns in top form from his foot injury, are they ready to challenge for their fourth title in seven years? Now that Clay Thompson and Draymond Green are healthy. There's also a ton of drama in the East. Will Giannis definitively prove that he is the best player in the league by defending Milwaukee's title? Will James Harden prove he's got what it takes to win in the playoffs with Embiid as his running mate? Or Harden as Embiid's running mate? And can Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving after a strange, disappointing, and seriously, really strange regular season, lead Brooklyn to championship glory. LZ, this is when the NBA season goes into overdrive. I love this part of the year so much. And it's a good thing because it goes on for like two and a half months. Uh, <laughs> we've got lots of stars, legacies on the line, so much at stake. Where do you want to start? I'm going to start with Bill Street. I want to start with the Memphis Grizzlies. They don't just represent a playoff team with championship aspirations. No, they represent a possible changing of the guard. Pun intended, because we're talking about John Morant. This is his opportunity to really solidify his place as one of the top candidates to be the new face of the league. Even if he just gets to the conference finals and he is a shining star during that run, he is going to really ramp up his case for being the new face of the league. And I'm excited to see him rise to the challenge because I think they're going to have a deep run. They're not intimidated by the fact that they lack experience. And they're not intimidated by the fact there's so many stars that they got to get through just to get to the finals. They had beaten up so many teams <laughs> over the course of this regular season that it's impossible for me to think that John and the gang are going to stop and go, oh, wait, but now it's May. <laughs> you know, like, like, no, I think they're going to ball out and they're going to really upset the apple cart a lot. So when I think about all of the teams and all of the narratives heading into this postseason, whether or not the Memphis Grizzlies can be that team that breaks through, to me, is the most intriguing because it isn't just a breaking through of a franchise. It's the breaking through of a superstar. And this is his opportunity. Remember how great Trey Young was in New York? 
they're still booing him. You know, <laughs> and it's like you're not even in the playoffs. What are you? Yeah, the about? nine. Like who cares? <laughs> who cares? But it was it was a tremendous, yeah. tremendous series. I'm yeah. hoping that Jock gets to have not just one series like that, but multiple series like that because he is absolutely electric. But what about you? Who are you looking at first? That team is so fun, but I'm not quite ready to move into the changing of the guard yet. I'm still dealing with the old guard. I'm fascinated by Golden State. I remember a thing that you said at the very beginning of this year when the Warriors got off to that super hot start where you talked about the notion that like, yeah, but Steph's never won an NBA Finals MVP. Obviously, he's an all-timer. There's no one to be like, well, I, I don't think you should make the hall. He never won the NBA Finals MVP. No one's <laughs> saying that. But like for Curry in the year where he breaks the all-time three-point record in this kind of glorious fashion, there's something about seeing Clay, Draymond, and Steph all back. I find the Warriors, they are the one dynasty team that I still like <laughs> and I still find lovable. And I would not look at them and be like, oh, someone's going to take them down. I'm so sick of them. It's rare that you see this, that kind of dynastic team get knocked off the perch as thoroughly as they kind of were and to get back up there and to do it. It feels like it would be Steph's preeminent achievement to get one later in his career as the clear 100% guy in that moment would be glorious to watch and uh, Steph Curry I would argue is probably my favorite NBA player of the last 10-15 years so to be able to see him have that moment it feels like a guy winning it one more time that will feel wholly and truly his in a way that sometimes the others didn't I think would be pretty exciting it is a weird dynamic because he is an all-time great he is the greatest shooter that has ever played the game he is one of the most likable guys to ever play the game. There's a whole lot going for him. And yet there is like this nagging thing that because he doesn't have like this finals MVP, that somehow he doesn't show up in these critical moments. Remember when he got stuffed by Kevin Love in the Cavs series on that last possession? He was injured reportedly. Yeah. But he had just yelled, I'm back, like yeah. just a series before. So- and that was the moment. Like that's the moment where he drains it over him and he's like, Boom. Now it's mine. Now it's me. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. He doesn't have any of those moments, right, during the finals that you're just like, oh, all right, okay. But I do appreciate the fact that you have an affinity for him still because we're looking for the next. Yeah. Right? And he he very much is still here. (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) But I am looking at Memphis. Yeah. You know, and if there's a series between Memphis and the freaking Golden State Warriors, I'm probably going to be rooting for the Warriors. And it has absolutely nothing to do with Steph or Dre or Clay or Kerr or any of them. It has everything to do with just me wanting to see what's next, which is why I guess the other team that kind of has me intrigued a little bit are those 76ers. You know, we talked about Joel Embiid, we talked about him securing the scoring title. This is supposed to be the year in which finally we can stop making process jokes, <laughs> right? It feels like we've been trying to trust this process for a minute. And it, I, I hope they have their coach and I hope their superstar stays healthy and he is in top shape. And to me, he's the MVP. We'll see how it shakes out, but I think he's the most valuable player. But, you know, we all remember him falling to pieces after Kawhi Leonard hit every single spot on that rim before the ball <laughs> fell through. Mm-hmm. He could use some luck. He could use an opportunity. But that team could use some finalization. 
you know, like a exclamation point to what has been a decades long process, if you will. And so I'm intrigued if they can finally turn that page now, get to the NBA finals. Hell, win the thing. You have the best big man in the game who's a walking bucket. He's had the highest scoring average with the fewest minutes since Steph. You know, he is so good. But if he doesn't get this team deep into the postseason, you know, especially with James Harden by his side right there, at a certain point, you're just going to shrug your shoulders and just kind of call them like the Seattle Supersonics or something. I think you can just blame Harden. I think that's what people will do, to be honest. <laughs> Harden has struggled in the postseason yeah. uh, in the past. I really feel like what Embiid has kind of like navigated really for the last two years is a little underappreciated. There was occasional shade towards Simmons, but generally speaking, he held it like an adult and he yeah. held it like a leader of a team. And, and Harden came in and he kind of handled that well. Whereas Harden has not always handled those situations well in the past. So I think if the 76ers don't do it, and I do think for all the talk of Tybal not being there against Toronto, and Toronto is a very annoying team to play. I don't think there's any question <laughs> right. about that. I still feel like this is a different conversation if they lose to Toronto. Like if they lose I mean, to Toronto, seriously. yeah, they, then we've got a larger problem. But when that trade happened around the Super Bowl, the whole idea was – okay, well, when do we get that 76ers-Nets series? When is that going to happen? And it's not happening this year. <laughs> like I just, it's hard to see a situation where that happens. And it's just a reminder for all the talk of all the drama of Philadelphia and Brooklyn and all that stuff. It still feels like it's Milwaukee, that it's Miami or Boston, right? Like that 76ers-Miami series is a really, really interesting one if they're able to get to that point. Even though the Mi- Miami has a better record, the 76ers would be damaged more by losing that series than Miami oh, yeah. would be by losing that series. Oh, oh definitely. A- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is what part of the reason why there's such an intriguing storyline for me. If Miami falls short, if the Boston Celtics aren't able to continue on this upswing they've been in in the second half of the season, it'd be like, all right, well, fine. But Embiid is kind of lobbied for the MVP trophy at hmm. points during the season. Without question, he went after the scoring title. He made sure he got them buckets. You know, he had a string of 40-plus games in that last week that he just wanted to make sure there was distance between him and LeBron because obviously we didn't know if LeBron was going to keep playing or not. It's all kinds of intrigue and pressure on Embiid to finally make it come together in the postseason. And if it doesn't, they're just going to be in a different conversation. If he gets bounced early, yeah, they're going to be the Utah Jazz. You remember the Utah Jazz? Donovan Mitchell, you know, yeah. Rudy Gobert, this tandem. I mean, they are te- they're technically still around, but I haven't heard anyone being like, oh, man, the Jazz are my sleeper. Like, nobody, nope. including the Jazz players, are saying that at this nope. point. And you know why? Because you have a very, very small window to go from being up-and-comer, underdog, to your point, sleeper, to eh. <laughs> yeah. And the Jazz have entered the eh realm. And if the 76ers get bounced early, I'm thinking they're heading to Eville. (laughs) The last intriguing team is the team that has just quietly dominated, which is Phoenix. My favorite thing about Phoenix this year, they went 32-9 and on the road and 32-9 and at home. That's just a consistently awesome team. They won by eight games in the Western Conference. We're getting all excited about Memphis and how this incredible thing they did wiped them out by eight games. And they, theoretically, have the potential best storyline, which is 
Chris Paul trying to win that title. He came so close last year, right into injuries, as Chris Paul tends to do uh, in, in a lot of times. I kind of feel like I almost underappreciate how big of a figure Chris Paul is generally even outside of basketball. I, I guarantee you, my aunts and uncles that don't watch basketball, him and LeBron are the players that they know. There's the State Farm commercials are everywhere. He's been around a really long time. If he doesn't win it this year, I mean, he is getting older and he's not like LeBron. LeBron is always constantly putting everything on his back for better and for worse. Paul is the guy who will always be able to make everyone better, but still has had injury issues. Even though LeBron's older, it feels like Paul is closer to the end of his career than LeBron is. I don't know why it feels that way, but it does feel that way. Maybe well, yeah, just, why does it feel that way to you? He just led the league in assists. But he, he's missed more time with injuries throughout his career. And, and he's missed more time with injuries in the postseason at like key moments, which yeah. is not his fault. Maybe it's not fair to say he's close to the end of his career, but his career always seems a little bit more perilous and potentially on the edge of falling off. Paul's genius is that he's great no matter how much the game changes around him. But the game has changed a ton around Chris Paul over the last 16 years. He's just found ways to be great within it always. But the postseason has always kind of been the bugaboo for him. He'll never have a better chance. It's hard to imagine. They've got home court throughout the entire playoffs. Uh, he's healthy. He's got a great team around him. I haven't said the name Devin Booker yet. Like This is a really, really great team. So Chris Paul potentially winning, I think, is one of the biggest storylines. Should we make a prediction? What's your prediction? I'm going to pick the Bucks over Memphis. Bucks over Memphis. I got Bucks okay. over Memphis. I've got Warriors over Bucks. Oh, so we guy. both think that the Bucks are the best team in the East. I think so. Though the basketball gods will not like that they purposely lost that last game. Remember last year, the Bucks, that last game of the year, they played to win so they would get the Heat because they could have played the Knicks mm -hmm. last year, which was generally thought of as a worse team than the Heat. And they didn't. They went ahead and wiped out the Heat and then played them in the first round and wiped them out again. Yep. This year, they're like, no, nah, I don't think we want the Nets. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think we want the Nets yet, which I totally get. We haven't even talked about the Nets, but as far as a seven seed, I know there are all sorts of issues. They still have Kevin Durant, man. <laughs> and we see what Kyrie can do. Right. Uh, as far as seven seeds go, that is not the one and I want. Ben Simmons may be available. Man, maybe. You know, maybe. <laughs> I saw a video of him hitting a jump shot once. Once, yeah. That's, I think that was a deep fake, actually. They, I think they really need to stop leaking those, by the way. That's <laughs> not know, the flex gonna, they think it is. No, it is not. No, it's <laughs> absolutely not. I love the NBA playoffs. I love them, actually, because they take so long. They're always on. It feels like a whole other season that we get to watch now that will just take up the next two months where there's a little added level of urgency until you get to the end when it gets to the insane level of urgency. I'm looking, really looking forward to it. Uh, well, all right, Will. Let's move on to our next topic. The ever-rising cost of being a fan and the impact it's having on pro sports leagues. Baseball wonders why everybody's so upset. Well, warning you now, when you sell all your good games to all these little services, you got to give them something. You're going to tick off the people who spend a fortune on the cable packages to see their teams play every year, whether it's SNY or yes, whatever it might be. You're going to bother the local fan. I'm telling you right now, you're going to bother them. And baseball is not in a position right now to bother the local fan who spends a fortune and gets screwed by these cable companies left and right. That was Sirius XM's Chris Mad Dog Russo ranting about the telecast of the New York Mets game against Washington on April 8th, which featured Max Scherzer's first start as a Met, but wasn't broadcast locally in New York or Washington and instead was exclusive only to subscribers of Apple TV. 
Well, this is yet another example of sports fans being asked to pay more and to be inconvenienced just to watch the games they want to see. Baseball fans already shell out $100 a month for a local cable or satellite package, and some fork over at least that much to watch baseball on MLB TV or to stream it on an MLB app. Now they've been asked to bestow even more of their hard-earned dollars to Apple TV and Peacock as well. Always like saying it like that. Peacock. Mm -hmm. But that's not all. MLB has complicated blackout policies, which means depending on where you live, you might not be able to watch the teams you like even if you pay for the privilege. MLB is hardly the only culprit. The expense of attending sporting events in person has risen dramatically over the last decade. Between 2010 and 2020, the cost of going to NFL games rose over 32%, while in the NHL it grew over 38%, and in the NBA a whopping 51%. (laughs) Well, it seems like pro sports leagues think fans have an unlimited supply of cash to funnel into their seemingly endless array of products. But I have to think we're reaching some kind of breaking point. When will fans say enough is enough? Okay, first off, I feel obliged to defend the Apple TV telecast on Friday night. I Go on. Visually, it looked terrific. Their graphics were really good. The video quality was really good. Their issues seem to primarily be with two things. One, they did the really annoying percentage players going to get a hit graphic right before they <laughs> bad, which no one wants to see that because we watch things to not be able to predict things. We want to see unpredictable things happen. But secondly, I think a lot of the criticism was because of the broadcasters, not so much that they were bad, more to the point, they were not the regular team's broadcasters. Melanie Newman, Chris Young, and Hannah Kaiser, I think they're fine. I think they're going to get better. They're going to do a good job, but they're not Keith Hernandez and the regular Mets crew, and people pay for that. And that, I think, is what the starter part on this is. MLB TV made a ton of money for the owners to the point that they sold their technology to ESPN to make ESPN Plus. So much of that was based on this idea that, hey, if you're a fan, we're going to allow you to watch every game. I'll never forget living in New York City and being blown away that I could walk across the Brooklyn Bridge and listen to Mike Shannon call a game in St. Louis. Uh, That was like 2001, and you could do that, and it blew my mind that you could do that. And so the idea of hardcore baseball fans were able to just say, no matter what, if I give this amount of money, I can watch every Cardinals game, and the quality was good, and you felt fantastic about it. But what happens inevitably with sports fans in sports? Oh, so you've gotten used to this thing. You like this thing. Now we're going to start peeling off little pieces and peeling off little pieces. You're going to pay extra for those and extra for those and extra for those. And you're seeing that with these streaming things. It is $4.99 a month for Apple TV, $6.99 a month for ESPN Plus, $24.99 a month for MLB TV, $4.99 for Peacock, which I'm sorry, <laughs> nobody needs Peacock. Peacock! Those games are at 11.30 in the morning, by the way, on Sundays, which is also <laughs> kind of hilarious. The idea of a a marathon brunch baseball game. It's kind of a fun idea. And if you're in a local market, you have to pay for cable, right? To be able to watch these games anyway. And it has all led to this general idea of, oh, we've got you. You're already paying this stuff. So let's get a little bit more over here. And listen, bracing streaming services is the next clear vanguard in sports. The NFL is already doing this with Amazon Prime. Baseball is like doing it piecemeal where they're doing a Peacock game on Sunday, Apple game on Friday, and you're going to see more and more of that happening kind of in other realms. It's really, really wealthy corporations saying, okay, the first thought they have is not our loyalist customers are the ones that we should be the most devoted to. They're instead... Oh, they're the ones we got. 
we need another revenue stream. Let's find them the way ever they can. Now, that's on one hand, that's been American capitalism forever. On the other hand, it's really American capitalism right now. <laughs> like there's a little bit of in-stage capitalism. You talked a little bit about you know, how expensive it is to go to games. And what's ironic about that is that's not even the primary revenue pusher for a lot of these leagues anymore. It's television. One of the reasons that sports was able to generally succeed financially during the pandemic is because most of the money comes from TV anyway. As long as they gave their TV inventory, they were able to get all of their cash. But even with that, they're still raising prices through the roof for all these games. You know, it speaks to that idea of, what do they want out of sports? I think that we've reached the type of owner and the type of executive that runs sports that they are in sports as another part of their portfolio rather than they're in sports because they want to own a sports team because they can make money off it, but also because it's part of the larger community and it's cool to own a sports team. This is a large part of what I like about winning time, the HBO Max. I know you don't like it. That's fine. But one of the things I like about it is that Jerry Buss has this view of like, I own a sports team. This is amazing. And I think that, and that was a Ted Turner idea. That was the George yeah. Steinbrenner idea. Now it is a part of their real estate portfolio and it's led to this clear, cold, thought of fans solely as consumers. That kind of thinking is how you stop having consumers in the long run. And so I find it worrisome as a fan of sports who wants sports to do well and continue to keep happening. It used to be 50-50 or even 60-40 for capitalism and money and then also making sure your fans were happy. It feels like making sure your fans are happy is not even a consideration anymore. In the long term, that seems pretty worrisome to me. You know, I'm really torn. On the one hand, Yes, it's expensive to watch games. It's expensive to go to games. But the reason why I'm conflicted is because everything's gotten way more expensive. <laughs> so why are we picking on sports? <laughs> College is way more expensive than when you and I were in school. Yeah. And less useful. <laughs> and, and perhaps even less useful. Even to the point in which they were already having the conversations we're having now, which is there a breaking point? And yet, we continue to see people go into debt to continue to pay these astronomical collegiate prices because we believe in the narrative that this is what you need. It's a building block to success. So we rationalize it, even though we go into great crippling debt to obtain these yeah. things. The same thing that comes to going to the movies, way more expensive than what they used to be. But you saw Spider-Man, didn't you? You sure did, Will. I know you did. And you liked it. <laughs> I did. It was $13. Like, I can handle $13 for two and a half yeah, hours. but they day. used to be five. Well, they used to be it a used quarter to be for a double feature. Used to be a quarter for a double feature well, at the Rialto around the corner. <laughs> Even processing fees have gone up, which pissed me off because I never knew what processing fees were to begin with. And now they're increasing. It's so, weird that processing fees are something that happen when I actually pay for something in person with cash. Like, what are you processing exactly? There's no <laughs> fee here. We process nothing. I gave you money. You gave me a service. What did fees, we process? Man. What did we process? Right. It's ridiculous. And it seems arbitrary. But we also don't really know why college tuition keeps going up at the rate in which it's going up, right? That seems a little bit arbitrary to me. We don't know why movie theater prices are going up. You're trying to tell me that the price of popcorn is that much higher than what it <laughs> used to be? Why am I paying $80 for a pound of popcorn now? So it's like <laughs> everything in life has gotten more expensive without much of an explanation. We just do it, right? And the idea that of all the areas in life that we're going to 
plant a flag and say enough is enough is the one area in life in which we're most irrational to the point <laughs> in which we have tattooed our bodies, raised our children in certain aspects of culture to the mm. point in which we are willing to fork over hundreds of millions of dollars to build stadiums that will not bring us any joy financially or economic returns. But we do it anyway. You think that's the area where we're going to plant the flag and say enough <laughs> is enough? I don't think so. I think what's really going to happen is we're going to keep forking over the money because we love our fucking sports. And I think that's true. My worry is I can say that and you can say that. I wouldn't consider either of us wealthy, but we have some expendable income. And if I have any expendable income, I'm spending it on sports. <laughs> like I think this, is, this has been a problem for a long time. But I'll put it this way. My family did not grow up with a lot of money. And we were able to go to $6 Cardinals games. You go buy tickets for the bleachers and get $6 seats. And that made me fall in love with the game. That was sports and investment. For giving me $6 cheap bleachers tickets, they have more than made up for it on the back end. I have given these people so much money. <laughs> and to me, that's the worry is if you're – a middle class or lower middle class family and your kid really wants to watch again, you want to take your kid to a game, you can't do it. And I want to, I don't even necessarily mean that just as an emotional, why can't we just get the kids? This should be fair for everyone. I think part of it is that, but I think the larger thing is you have to actually make investments. You don't want this to become I don't know, golf. <laughs> like you, don't want it to become, you don't want sports to become the realm of the wealthy is probably the best way to put it. I think there's a way. It already way is. Do you think it has always been that way? I think that those of us who think that prices were cheaper back then are forgetting that maybe they were cheaper back then, but there were still poor people back then, too, who still couldn't go to those games. I know because I was one of them. The Tigers tickets may have been like 20 bucks in the upper, upper rows or whatever, but we didn't have 20 bucks. Right. You know, the 20 bucks was for gas to get to work or gas to get to school. You didn't have the 20 bucks. And so I think that, yeah, the prices are way more expensive than when we were growing up. But that doesn't mean that more people necessarily could go to the games. I did not grow up around a lot of people that went to a lot of games because I grew up in poor neighborhoods and we just didn't have a lot of expendable cash, to your point. And once every, you know, three or four months, we might be able to go to Red Lobster, which was a treat. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, for the seafood lover and you. I know, man. I, I know mean, come to... on, man. Come <laughs> like, on. So Those little bread, cheesy bread things are good, by the way. I will ride or die for those things. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> what, a cheddar chay biscuit thing? Yeah, those are good. Those they are really good. good. But, you know, uh, my point being is that they were rarities for me growing up, and I think they're yeah. probably still rarities for a lot of people who are living below the poverty line. So you're right. It's expensive, but it's always been expensive. It's always been just one of those things that – exists just outside of your reach in a lot of ways. And I think the aspirational part of sports is one of the reasons why we love them so much, because there is an element of it that feels like we're socialized among the gods. And so when one of those gods looks at us or gives us a thumbs up or signs an autograph or acknowledges our presence or takes a picture with us, that's the reason why it's so electric. Because before that, nothing about the sport seemed tangible. It could be because socioeconomically you were so far from it, or it could be because you're just so in awe that you can't believe that the person is human, but it still comes from the same place, which is I can't have it myself. 
And every now and then I get to touch a little bit of it. And sports has always been like that for me. And it's always been like that for a lot of poor people in particular, something that you aspire to have access to, but could never really touch. And I get that. I particularly get it for tickets to the game. And I guess my thing here would go back to really our original discussion, right? Which is of access to the games. And on one hand, I have more access than I used to. Growing up, if you like baseball, you got the NBC game, right? And then you hopefully you could find the game on the radio. And that was really kind of it. So I understand that. It's one thing for the NFL to say, you know what? If you want to watch every single one of the games, we've got to deal with DirecTV. So buy the lousy service that is DirecTV, unless you become a sponsor of the long game with LZ. In which case, <laughs> DirecTV is a terrific service. But until then, it sucks. But the NFL has a product that is so desired that they can put this crazy premium price on it and people will pay because the NFL is going nowhere prices. The way that owners treat Major League Baseball has a little bit of a pump and dump kind of aspect to it. A little bit of the way private equity firms are buying up newspapers. They're squeezing every little bit out of it that they can, stripping it away and not really caring about the future because they want to get as much money as they can right now. And that's the concern for me. The NFL is doing that, but people are watching the NFL like crazy. They should be milking for for all, all that's worth. Baseball is a product that is not as highest level of strength right now to try to squeeze every dime out of that at a time where your game is a little bit on the precipice for people's entertainment dollar. I think it's a little worrisome in the long term. All right. When we return, we're going to discuss the pros and cons of using taxpayer dollars to fund stadiums with New York State Democratic Senator Sean Ryan. Let's just say LZ NFL owners, particularly in Buffalo, have a lot of leverage. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, LZ, we're back. Great day for Western New York, for the Bills, for the NFL. We're very thankful for Governor Hochul, County Executive Poland Cars. This is a great first step. We still have more work to do, um, but we're excited with what we've accomplished so far. That was Buffalo Bills Executive Ron Rakuya talking about the deal that was just reached with the state of New York to finance the construction of a brand new stadium for the team, which will use $850 million in public money, the biggest taxpayer contribution ever for a pro football facility, which will be used to help pay for the $1.4 billion in projected construction costs. 
We're dealing with a familiar story here, LZ. Franchises benefit enormously from stadium revenues. In fact, the main reason teams relocate is because of the lure of better stadium profits. Just in the last few years, the Rams, Chargers, and Raiders all fled their longtime homes for shiny new venues that will be cash cows for years to come. And over a dozen cities in the past 25 years committed substantial public financing to build new facilities to keep their local teams from leaving town. The billionaire owners of the Bills, Terry and Kim Pagula, didn't exactly threaten to exit Buffalo, but they did make it clear that they would not renew their lease next year at 49-year-old Highmark Stadium, which is in need of a billion dollars in repairs, without a commitment for some public financing of a new building. Now, they'll get a big, fat chunk of it. Unfortunately, numerous studies have made it very clear. Cities don't benefit all that much economically from new stadiums. Experts will tell you a town is better off building a factory or a mall or even a mid-sized apartment store where the jobs are permanent and year-round. LZ, in a moment, we're going to talk with New York State Democratic Senator Sean Ryan, who represents the district where the new stadium will be constructed. But first, let's dig into this subject for a little bit. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, that the Lakers, your beloved Lakers, pretend that they're good, first off, and they're worthy of watching. I'm going to kick your ass next time I see you. (laughs) (laughs) If you were threatened to have the Lakers leave, unless you paid a tax or your taxes were increased, even though you know it's probably not great for Los Angeles, but you don't want to lose your Lakers, right? Would you stand on the ground, no public financing, even if I meant losing the Lakers? No. I, and listen, this conversation about good deals versus bad deals, that all depends on why you're making the deal to begin with. <laughs> if you're an elected official, your job is to give one aspect of the conversation to the public to process. But the sports teams have given another aspect of the conversation for the public to process. And that's what it means to have the team. And that needs to be part of the equation as well. You know, we can't continue to have these conversations about mental health and self-care and all this other shit. But then when it comes to like financing for sports teams or sports stadiums, we want to discount all of the the emotional and mental aspect of it. Like, it's like we're schizophrenic or something. If we're all about that life, about mental health and mental self-care and all that good stuff, then recognize that sports teams contribute in a positive way to that. And that maybe the payoff for having these sports teams and these new stadiums aren't economic. No, they aren't. But, damn it, it feels good to win a 2020 bubble (laughs) championship. (laughs) you can't quantify it listen yes not good deals for the public it's been pointed out many times that the governor of new york is from buffalo (laughs) she was the one that was leading the conversation her husband works for the delaware north company that does all the concessions like there's shady stuff it's new york politics is by definition a little shady so it's all been put in this like binary box of well I don't think that they should be paying for anything, and so therefore they shouldn't. Okay, fine. Then the bills are gone. That that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make me on the Pagula's side. That doesn't make me think they're altruistic people who deserve this money because they don't. But we don't live in theoretical social media world where it's either this side or it's this side. One of the things that we'll talk about here in a moment with Sean Ryan is really interesting because as a legislator, that's clearly something he kept in mind when talking about this is the notion of, yeah, this is not a great deal, but I mean, we can't lose the bills. 
on one hand, it's easy if you don't care about sports to be like, that's stupid. Why would you put emotion into this? But we put emotion into everything. So yep. the idea that we're supposed to like keep that out of this, this is not defending public subsidies. They're bad in a macro sense. But we're not talking about a macro sense. We're talking about an emotional sports sense. There's a reason that people don't be like, wow, man, I'll, I, I think we should give $850 million to build a couple more McDonald's. Like nobody has an emotional connection to a McDonald's, but they have emotional connection to sports teams. That's why they're there. That's why they make money. That's why people count. So even if you can't quantify it, there's obviously something. So with that, LZ, let's bring in New York State Democratic Senator Sean Ryan, who has been involved in the negotiations to build a new stadium in Buffalo for the Bills. Senator, thank you for your time and thank you for uh, chatting with us. We're excited to talk with you. Now, I know this is a complicated situation and losing the bills, I think, would be very damaging to Buffalo in a lot of ways. It still seems like an unusually high amount of public financing, I think, for a stadium. I'm curious, you've talked a little bit about how maybe philosophically this might not necessarily be in, in a macro sense your thing, but in the particulars of this situation, it felt like something that you needed to, to support. Just kind of walk us through that, if you don't mind. So you know, everyone from Buffalo has one anxiety. And the one anxiety is, are we going to be able to keep the bills? This is not a new situation. When our original AFL owner, Wealth Wilson, lived to a grand old age. But from the day the guy turned mid-70s, everyone thought, what's going to happen when he dies? Is somebody going to come buy the bills? And are they going to move them? When uh, Ralph Wilson uh, did pass away eventually, we were able to find a, an owner that agreed to, to keep the bills, and it was for a contractual term. That contractual term is coming to an end. <laughs> and what does every NFL owner want? A new stadium. And they'd prefer that the taxpayers paid for it. We get that part. <laughs> what I'm trying to figure out is the calculus for members of the state's governments, local governments. How do you weigh the financial implications of granting this publicly funded stadium with the fact that there have been several studies, which I'm sure, Senator, you are familiar with, that have shown there are no true financial or economic benefits for having these stadiums. How do you work out that formula? You're absolutely right, LZ. We've been talking about a new stadium in Buffalo for you know a healthy five years and there was all these plans. We're going to move it downtown. We're going to connect it to hotels. We're going to put a train station next to it. <laughs> but all the data showed the bigger and brighter your new stadium, it just leads to a larger subsidy, but no true economic return. So we came in with an eyes wide open approach on that. You know, we, we didn't have any pie-in-the-sky estimates of jobs that will be created or people's incomes will go up. None of that's going to happen. And that really is reflective in the, the final plan. The final plan is to keep the stadium bare bones, keep it out in Orchard Park, build it on top of the parking lot. It's not going to have a roof. People were saying, oh, if you put a roof on, you can program 12 months. <laughs> uh, but, you know. And none of it works. I mean, you just end up spending more money, but you're still not covering what you put in. But I also think you're referring to, LZ, is what you can't measure in economics, right? What's the intangibles uh, of having a team? And I think that's something that every NFL city faces. And boy, the cities who don't have an NFL team, they would like some of those intangibles. We know that 
how people look at Buffalo. I mean, population wise, Buffalo is more in line with like a Fort Wayne, Indiana. But no one's talking about Fort Wayne, Indiana, 52 weeks a year on, on sports talk shows. And people think of Buffalo more in the same line as uh, Chicago or, or Tampa. So there's a big intangible there. But, you know, the last intangible, which, of course, is not measurable, is that the people of Buffalo and Western New York, they love the Bills. They love the Bills like a college loves their college team, or it's probably more like a Texas town loves their high school team. When the Bills are playing, you know it because everyone in Western New York is walking around with Bills attire on. It's not limited to, oh, that's a, you know, that must be a sports fan. You talk about a roof. Like, what if the owners of the Bills said, we want a roof, we want a train station, we want all this stuff. Are you fortunate that it didn't get to that? Yeah, I, I am. Um, you know, and I think the reason that didn't happen, Will, is you know the, the same ownership group owns the Buffalo Sabres. And they did make substantial investments around that arena. I believe they believed some of that hype. That if you build all this stuff, all these good things are going to happen. So they built their hotel. They built another, another rink. And I believe they're not getting the economic bang that they thought they were going to. So we sort of, I believe in some ways, you know, dodged, dodged a bullet on that one. And also, you know, you hear this stuff about, oh, you build a roof, you'll get the Super Bowl. Well, you might get to host the Super Bowl once, right. but that's not going to offset half billion dollars in expenses for a stadium that would you know, have that the standard for a Super Bowl. And even concerts, people talk about, oh, concerts, <laughs> but not many touring bands can fill 65,000 seats. So you might get a half dozen concerts out of it. It doesn't pay the rent, that's for sure. You know, I am a huge sports fan. But at the same time, I also know that we still have communities in this country that have lead pipes. Why can't we at least make sure our children have clean water to drink? (laughs) Why isn't that more of a priority in this country than making sure that our football team or our basketball team doesn't leave the community? What's missing in your estimation? LZ, welcome to America. (laughs) You know, we live in a a country of fierce inequalities. So the very kids who are drinking water from lead pipes are cheering on their heroes who have multi-multi-million dollar contracts. You know, you can take whole Bill's neighborhoods uh, and combine all their incomes and they don't make Josh Allen's one year. This is just part of the American picture. We accept a intolerably high child poverty rate. We accept a really high incarceration rate. We accept gun violence rate like no other modern nation does. And on top of it, we like to fund sports stadiums for uh, really rich owners. So it's part of the pie. And I don't know how to disentangle that, nor do I have any hope that this is going to stop. The NFL, part of their business model is having the public pay their expenses. It's a model that that's far and wide. I mean, if you look at percentages the county state put in for the bills is going to be about 60%. Cleveland put in 74%. Tampa, 100%. Baltimore, 90%. It's a tough thing, but nobody in Buffalo wants to pay for a stadium and no one from Buffalo wants to lose the bills. <laughs> uh, it's the bitter, bitter medicine. 
the NFL is the NFL because the federal government granted them monopoly powers back in the 60s. And without those monopoly powers, they couldn't be holding cities for ransom all across the nation. But until the federal government steps in and says, two states can't compete each other around for this private entity, we're going to continue to see empty stadiums in St. Louis, the Browns of old and Baltimore of old leaving in the dead of night and cities really getting hijacked. I mean, I all have to say the Bills ownership group, they were civil throughout the whole negotiation. But, you know, this is sort of what they said when they started the negotiations. The spokesperson said, here's the quote. We're starting the negotiations and, quote, we're going to have to decide if they want a team. So, <laughs> okay. talking about a gun to your head. Well, they, they didn't put it in our head. They just took it out, laid it on the table. Said, <laughs> Don't make me use it. Don't make me That's use right. it. That's right. Let's talk. This is a peaceful negotiation here. No violence. (laughs) Just so you know, the gun is right there. (laughs) Yeah, that's how you start these negotiations. And by any modern standard, the NFL's not giving Buffalo a team. Right. Right? We got lucky. Ralph Wilson, for like $15,000, he owned a trucking company in Detroit. He decides to take a flyer to buy this AFL team. And boy, the rest is history. Buffalo is closer to Green Bay in terms of size of our community. We can't keep luxury boxes full because we don't have that many corporations. So every time the lease ends on their stadiums, the gun comes back out and you're back in this position. We all know the model to keep small market teams. And that model's Green Bay. It's a community ownership model. And guess what happened right after that model got off the ground and it worked? Guess what the NFL did? <laughs> no more of that. Wait, I that model. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are not alone. The community would pitch in and we would buy that team tomorrow. We would be Green Bay tomorrow. We would raise the $4 billion in a blink of an eye. And it would be our team because our fans consider it our team. It's our bills. But – It's really not our bills. It's the NFL's bills. And they bring the gun out uh, every so often and say, you know, I want a new house or I want upgrades and we have to comply or you have to lose your team. Guess who else can't own a sports team? A government. (laughs) So governments pay for the stadiums. In our case, the government will own our stadium, but we can't own the team. So we couldn't have said, we'll give you a stadium but give us a third value of the team. You know, we'll take an ownership share. Oh, sorry. That's not allowed by NFL rules. A lot of this is coming from state funding. This is not like the city of Buffalo, city council raising taxes on on the residents. Does that help things for people that live in Buffalo? It would be one thing to say, okay, loser team, but now your taxes are going up 80%. While this is public financing, it's more of a state public financing necessary than it is a Buffalo public financing. Yeah, so the city of Buffalo, which is one of the poorest cities in in North America, will be putting in zero dollars. It's always been a county-owned facility, so the county will put in a portion, but the state is putting in the lion's share of the portion, and that'll be spread amongst 24 million taxpayers. So it won't be a big hit. Just remember that this is a – it's not cash on the barrel head, right? So big project like this, you bond it, and the bonds are a 30 – year bond. So in terms of the hit to the taxpayer, 
it's more about $30 million a year that New York State pays on its bond payments for this, this project. There's no real economic development out of it, but every time a NFL team plays in Buffalo, those players and those coaches all pay state income tax. You know, we reckon about $26 million a year comes in there. So, you know, if you sort of do the math out over 30 years, you might get to a break even. But, you know, usually you don't make a $600 million investment to get to a break even. (laughs) If we're searching for a silver lining, uh, it would be a really hard search. But (laughs) the stadium will be built primarily under what's called a project labor agreement. And that'll make sure we utilize local labor with a union workforce and women and minority job participation goals. So it will infuse a lot of construction money into our economy over the next uh, you know, two years. And you know, that, that's not a bad thing. And it'll be the largest project ever to be built in Buffalo. We don't get many projects that exceed like 600 million. And this is gonna be 1.3 to start. It'll probably go up from there. Our county executive made sure that we did not do a percentage deal. We put a set amount of funding in, period. So Overruns would be the team. Overruns would be the team in the NFL. Overruns would be the team. So while I predict right now, the data says we're going to be at 60% public input. When this project's over, it's going to be way less than 60% because the $1.3 billion project yeah. undoubtedly is going to be a 1.6, 1.7. And we all know it. You, you know, you try to get your bathroom remodeled, you can't keep that <laughs> under a cost, let alone a big stadium. All right. Well, thank you for your time, sir, and thank you for your candor uh, in this. And uh, if I'm being entirely honest with you, and then this still, you know, go Bills. <laughs> I'm not, I know, I know where my my bread's buttered on around yeah, here. Good, good luck with everything, and uh, take care. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Nice talking, to everybody. Thank you. Take care. Okay, thanks to State Senator Ryan for joining us. And now, Will, it's time for This Week in Sports History. We break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. For the first time since the beginning of the war, the President of the United States goes to a baseball game. Truman takes his place in the stands, autographing a baseball for the Washington mascot before the game between teams representing Washington and St. Louis. The president tosses out the first ball to start the game. You just heard an old newsreel describing President Harry S. Truman in 1946 throwing out the ceremonial first pitch on the opening day of the baseball season in Washington, D.C., That tradition began a mere 112 years ago this week when President William Howard Taft showed off his arm from the stands when the Washington Senators began their season in 1910. Since that time, every sitting commander-in-chief besides Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump have tossed out ceremonial first pitches, with FDR leading the way by doing so a record 11 times. That's crazy. Anyway, the American presidency has been tied to the public appreciation of sports since at least 1865, when baseball's Washington Nationals and Brooklyn Atlantics visited Andrew Johnson in the White House. To be sure, these interactions have occasionally been politicized in the past, 
Even Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover, when he threw out the first pitch in opening day in 1931, was jeered by fans opposed to prohibition, chanting, we want beer. Those are my people. However, after Donald Trump targeted NFL players who knelt in protest during the national anthem in 2016 and began openly feuding with some of the country's best athletes, what once felt like a space for fans of all political stripes to set aside the differences has become a venue for conflict. Since Trump has left office, a sense of normalcy has returned to a certain degree, but President Biden hasn't attended a live sporting event, much less thrown out a ceremonial first pitch, and because of COVID protocols, teams aren't exactly rushing to the White House after championships. If presidential involvement in sports isn't a unifier that it once was, Will, should we even bother with doing this anymore? You know, I wrote a piece for Sports on Earth, my old site, about the Miami Dolphins 72 team not wanting to meet with Obama. And I thought they were morons. And the reason I thought they were morons is about 15,000 people on the earth at any one time have ever met the president, like a president. I've never met a president before. I've, I, that would be very exciting for me. Most people never get that opportunity. I think of that idiot on Christmas Eve that took the call from Biden and yelled, let's go Brandon in there. This is a special privilege that people fought in wars and have dedicated their lives to this country and never be able to do. You should take this as the honor that you see it. What a bunch of schmucks. And then Trump became president. <laughs> and, and then I almost immediately was like, oh, no, I totally get it now. So that is totally hypocritical. And I totally understand that, which is why I'm always struggling with this idea. But I think it speaks to the larger thing that's happened, not just during the Trump era. I think it accelerated during the Trump era, which is the idea that politics is everywhere all the time, even if you don't want it to be. A lot of this is the premise of the show, right? The idea that you cannot separate politics from sports. You cannot separate the outside world from sports. Everything in sports is political because everything in the world is political. On the other hand, in the past, it does feel like there was a time where someone could just meet the president, whether it was George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan, and just be like, that's the president. I think there was a general understanding that sports could be that sort of safe place. I'd like us to be able to find, and maybe with the current American culture, that's a, this is impossible, but I'd like us to be able to find the time. And frankly, it's something I think Biden has at least hinted at trying to do, is to make the presidency kind of boring, rote, and ceremonial again, and getting back to those norms that Trump blew up in many ways other than just sports. I was at the 2009 All-Star Game in St. Louis. It was shortly after Obama had been elected, and he came out in his mom jeans, and he <laughs> threw out the first pitch, his, his mom jeans and his White Sox jacket, and threw the first pitch, and it was it was special. I have to say, it was legitimately special in the same way that I think it was probably very special for a lot of people that were at Yankee Stadium in 2001. Now, under a different circumstance, but to see the president of the United States come out and do that. People that did not like George Bush, that did not vote for George Bush, there was something about that moment. They're like, oh, we are all Americans now. I know that's corny. I know that's silly. And I know it's not like necessarily based in reality. You know what else is all three of those things? Sports. Sports <laughs> are all three of those things. And it's one of those things that I hope Trump did not blow up forever. And I'd like to see it go back to that while recognizing the inherent limitations of it. I don't really know how to say this without sounding as if I hate this country, because I do not hate this country. Right. I do not hate this country. But for so many years, Black athletes in particular had to pretend as if everything was okay. We're champions. We shake the hands of the presidents. We take the picture and do the photo op. And 
they're just supposed to go along to get along under this idea that this is the one space in which politics can be cleared of. (laughs) (laughs) And sports is the one place where you can just concentrate on a child's game and none of the ills of the world. And we're going to stand here and take this photo op with the president of the United States. And then people started to say things like, I disagree with the policies or I disagree with this. And then the argument became, well, you're meeting with the president of the United States. There's a chance you can tell him, and it's always a him. Mm -hmm. So far. Don't fault me. That's what we've done. Mm -hmm. This is your chance to tell him how you feel and to ask for help for your community. Remember, that became like Mm -hmm. the, the thought process. So Craig Hodges did that shit the superstar marksman for the Chicago Bulls during their first repeat. Craig Hodges went to the White House. He handed a letter over asking the president to do more for his community. And you know what happened? It was blackballed. Yeah, people were really He was blackballed for it because he had the audacity to ask President Bush to help the black community. And they got rid of this guy, even though they knew not having his three-point shooting could hurt them. So after years and years of being silent and then saying, I'm uncomfortable with the silence, then black Mm -hmm. athletes started to speak up and you told them to shut up. (laughs) Today, they're not shutting up anymore. So if you're asking me if we can return to a normalcy, I would say fuck normalcy. (laughs) Because normalcy required us to sit up there and pretend as if everything was hunky-dory under this fake pretense that You know, sports was the one place where politics didn't exist, (laughs) where you didn't have to deal with social justice issues. We're going to acknowledge Jackie Robinson Day, but not talk about why there's a Jackie Robinson Day. (laughs) Right, right, right. Fuck normalcy. Normalcy was never legitimate to begin with. Normalcy was a dream. Now what we have is reality, right? And in reality, people's lives are impacted by the policies of the president. And on occasion... Maybe that athlete may want to just share some thoughts about that, either on social media or in interviews, or they create their own medium or media platform and express their concerns there. They're not being quiet anymore. So those events, those photo ops, they're becoming more and more de facto endorsements of policies of people in that position. And it's not what we're used to. But it doesn't go back to that period in time, Will, in which we pretended as if nothing was wrong or we pretended right. as if sports was somehow you know, excused from having to deal with these issues, even though sports was very much a part of those issues. So I know that a lot of people want to go back to when athletes just stood there and cracked the corny joke about the championship or the president throwing a football or a baseball. And then we go back to our regular scheduled lives. But the fact is, that was never satisfactory. And we're getting closer to actually reality. And for a lot of people, that reality makes them uncomfortable. And they want to romanticize about something that was never true, as opposed to open our eyes and deal with what actually is true right in front of you, everywhere, all around. Shouts out to the NFL for still trying to figure out how to hire black coaches. <laughs> and you're right, of course. But Trump did accelerate this sort of thing. Remember the Nationals World Series where they showed him with the Jumbotron and everybody booed? Yeah, and so they yeah, said, okay, well, yeah. I'll, I'll go to a UFC fight and they booed him there. So where did he go? He went to college football games in the South where the one place he knew he was not going to get booed. So on one level, yes, it was always a photo op. I don't disagree. 
I also think that Trump went so far in the other direction of being a, this thing only exists for me to get what I want out of, which is kind of the ultimate Trump thing, right? Like his his self-centeredness was so extreme that exposed the hypocrisy in many ways of everything. <laughs> oh, he's not even putting up a pretense about anything. He's just <laughs> doing whatever the fuck he wants. There used to be, when you did an NBA 2K season and when you won the championship, you got to go meet Obama and Obama was on the game and it was really fun. I'd love for us to find a way to where there's a middle ground between standing up there and everything is an explicit endorsement or standing up there and shutting up. A middle ground between that and the avarice of Trump exposing everything as bullshit. Maybe we should just get rid of it altogether. Maybe, maybe. I think there is value, not the intrinsic value that we always believed there was, but I think there's still some value in hey, we won the championship. Let's meet the president. And if I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And maybe that's why I feel so stupid about getting annoyed at the 72 Dolphins for not going to meet Obama. Because I just thought they were being idiots for that reason that we talked about. But then I totally reversed myself when, when Trump became president. So maybe it's just like, make whatever decision you want. For the record, Brady never went to go meet Trump in the White House. Remember the time when remember the Boston Red Sox when they won? Yep. All the white players went and all the Latino and black players did not. There's a statement in that as well. But right. I do think if Craig Hodges did that today, maybe I'm foolishly optimistic, I think it would be received differently than it was then. I hope so. I will hope so. But then we do have Colin Kaepernick. So there's that. Well, what happened with that? Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> right. Ugh. And that's our show for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Mark Levine, and Marshall Eisen. Music is by Gloria Tales and some sound design by David Wilson. We'll be back with another podcast next Wednesday. And who knows? Maybe the Lakers will be back in the postseason by then. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just desperate to do anything to get them in the postseason. It's going to be a long time until we do another show if we're waiting that long. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.